In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I was really grateful early on that I had uh, a couple men in my life that, that they would speak into my life. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as usual, I'm here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing really good, Jim. Hey, I'm glad to be have you on the show, brother. And I am really excited about today's guest. This guy is an unsung hero in ministry around the nation. Uh, in, been in ministry over 50 years yeah. with various organizations, and most recently with uh, Robert Lewis and Better Man. And uh, I'm excited to get this guy on the show. This guy uh, has dug deep and knows uh, so much and has so much to offer. And I'm excited to get this guy on the show today. But before we do, do you have a man word? I do, and my word is hero. I've been uh, hearing this word a lot lately. You talk about family heroes, uh, heroes in your life, uh, guys that you look towards or look to and uh, just appreciate. And um, I think that, you know, we don't want to be all like arrogant, like I'm going to be somebody's hero, but we want to live in a way that people do say, hey, because of your life, my life has completely changed and there's been a ripple effect. And in a sense, they're saying you are the hero of my family's life and our destiny yeah. and where we're going. And so, um, yeah, I like that. Well, I, I think there's a discomfort among Christian guys when they hear that word. My, my thing is Jesus puts us on display so that we will put him on display. So the whole goal of a man is to be put on display so that he can in turn put Jesus on display. So it's saying, God, make me the hero in my story. Because you're the ultimate hero, you're the famous one, but Lord, make me the hero in my story so that I can make you the hero in the grand kingdom drama that's unfolded. I think a lot of guys think that's pride. I disagree. I think the man of humility says, God, put me on display so that I can put you on display. It takes great humility. To, it's very easy to shrink back and hide beneath a veneer of I'm being humble when essentially what we're saying is uh, I'm afraid to be put on display. And so I agree. Uh, those guys that uh, step up to be the men that God has called them to be, they're our heroes. And speaking of that, do you have a hero story? 
Yes, I do. Uh, this guy, Matthew, says, I have your paperback version. Love it. And I've given away to other men. Great stuff and loves the material from the, the podcast. And he actually uses the the man card book sometimes for uh, leading men's groups. So, uh, Matthew, you know who you are. You know you wrote this and sent it in to us at some point. Um, hit me up. And uh, I know your last name, but I'm not going to throw it out there to the whole world. But uh, <laughs> send me an email at info at org, and we will hook you up with some swag, buddy. Yeah, I sure appreciate those stories, guys. We just want to hear how God has used you to impact you and your family, because when a man gets it, everyone wins. And so, hey, guys, I want to brag about my uh, guest today, our new friend, Tom Wilson. Tom is 73 years old. He lives in Fort Worth, Texas, with his beautiful wife of 53 years, Linda. Tom is the chief executive officer, that's CEO to you and me, of Better Man. It's a men's ministry organization that desires a better, more fulfilling life from a man's work family, friends, marriage, and relationship with God. The Better Man Framework actively seeks to counter today's dysfunctional masculinity by offering men the timeless, life-giving manhood found in the Bible. Tom has, I shared earlier, five decades of experience in direct ministry and ministry oversight with Young Life as a senior vice president, uh, and then 10 years with Bob Buford serving uh, as CEO of Leadership Network. And for the most recent adventure, he's been working with Robert Lewis and Better Man, and they've got brand new stuff that's out right now. I uh, own the curriculum Better Man, and I'm excited to get Tom on the show today. He is one of our unsung heroes uh, of today and has done so much over 50 years of his life. Well, he's older than 50, but 50 years of ministry life. And man, really excited to get him on. Tom, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Oh, just my honor, Jim. I'm just so pleased to be here and love what you're doing and anything to do with uh, helping men become a better man. I'm all in. So I'm glad to be here. It's really encouraging to get guys on the show that one, have similar DNA and two, have been doing it longer because I can look up to you. Uh, You've been ahead of me and I really believe in intergenerational connections. And I just think the older I get, the better I am and more value I have to add. And I think you're older than me by about, well, a few years, and you have more value to add. And so I want to honor that. I think sometimes in the church we we uh, neglect that or ignore that. But I think our, our uh, elder statement, statesmen have, have way more to offer. And so thanks for taking the time to come on the show. And hey, can you do me a favor, Tom, and just give our guys some context? Uh, just I want to hear a few minutes of your personal story what makes you tick, things you enjoy, just whatever you feel led to share. Sure. Well, thank you. Well, thanks for the kind words, uh, Jim. I I uh, have loved the direction that God's led my life. Uh, taught school right out of uh, college and got connected with Young Life. And that's, uh, I didn't even know about Young Life. Uh, <laughs> so they offered to fly me to Dallas and let Linda and I look at uh, Young Life. And I, I, this was a real spiritual reason for accepting that invitation uh, at that time, I'd never flown on an airplane. So I thought, that sounds good. I think I'll go to Dallas. And uh, so I went to Dallas, saw a Young Life Club and fell in love with it. And on the way back on the airplane, I just looked at Linda and said, hey, I think we ought to do this. And she said, we don't even know what this is. What do you mean? Yeah. And I, there was not a hopeless pray about it. What do you think, honey? Uh, it was, I'm going to do it. So I, I kind of jumped in with both feet in the early 70s and 
And uh, just uh, I, I was so uh, taken with kids from coaching and, and from teaching. But uh, Linda and I were new in our faith, and I was just excited about connecting those two things. So, so I uh, spent uh, the first few years as an area director in Young Life in Amarillo and then in Fort Worth. And then as the years went on, the, the territory just got bigger. And uh, at one point, I was supervising Young Life in the central and southern part of the United States and central and South America. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then in early 2000, uh, I, was, uh, I was finding myself on a plane all the time. And I decided that it was time to step back and uh, recalibrate life. And so as much as I loved Young Life, I needed to step away and and uh, this will this will play into what what we're going to talk about in a minute on identity with men. Uh, when I did step away, I'd been so connected. I think it was about the second month I was out of Young Life. A pastor of our church uh, was brand new and was introducing me to a, a pastor friend of his, and he said, uh, "He said this is Tom Wilson. I started to say he's Mister Young Life, but he's left Young Life, so I don't know who he is." And that was really a uh, uh, it was like a dagger, and I don't think he really meant it caustically, but it I, what what it did, it started me on a journey, Jim, of uh, deciding I need to know who I am in Christ. I need to know who I am as a man and apart from young life. So leaving young life was a hard thing, but it was a good thing. And uh, I went, uh, that's when Bob Buford asked me to come and help him with Leadership Network and Halftime. And I really did that because Bob was... Uh, Bob was the board. He was the only donor and uh, he wanted to build an organization and those were my skills. And uh, so we connected well. So I spent 10 years with Bob and uh, those were, that was a great season of my life uh, because I, I no longer was trying to prove who I was. I would just simply, uh, I love the fact that Bob used to say, uh, maybe it's a little bit of what you were talking about in the beginning. You know, we're, we're the platform, not the show. You know, so we, we we just set Christ up to uh, let people see Him, and and so uh, that was a good ten years. I, I left there and um, uh, spent a couple years just at home and uh, reconnecting with my wife and rebuilding our marriage to uh, to match what I was teaching out there, and uh, and that that was a, another good time. And then Young Life called me back and asked if I would help. Uh, with some national project and I did. And uh, so I retired for a second time from Young Life a year ago and got connected with, with Robert. So, uh, you know, men's ministry, uh, helping men uh, become better men is uh, at the core of my being. And I'll finish with this. Uh, Bob Buford wrote, uh, after he wrote Halftime, he wrote a book called Finishing Well. And um, I, I, that's a book I was going to write. Uh, because I, I hadn't written the book, but I like the title. Because what I wanted is to, I want to finish well as a as a as a man of God. I want to finish well as a husband. I want to finish well as a father and a grandfather. So that uh, uh, finishing well was is uh, right at the top of the list of things that uh, make me tick. Man, there's so much there. Uh, first of all, if you go to write the book, Finishing Strong, don't do it. Steve Ferrar beat you to that one, too. <laughs> oh, gosh. So we'll have to come up with a new yeah. title, maybe Winning at the End or Stretching to the Line or something. But, man, I'd love to see that book. Well, I could. it could be the uh, – instead of halftime, it could be the two-minute warning. I don't know. Maybe that's the title. Well, you know, I don't know so. if you know this, but we've uh, we've defined manhood as five things. 
And this is inspired from Robert's book, uh, Raising a Modern Day Night. So I was the first I'd ever seen manhood uh-huh. defined, and we uh, extended that definition. But our fivefold point of man- aspects of manhood are protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and the last one is finishing strong. And so that is that is such That's a huge great. part of it. You said something I want to quote you. You said we are the platform and not the show. And and Tom, that's why I'm so inspired by having you on because from what I can tell, you haven't written a book. You're 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 a behind the scenes leader who has led from behind the scenes and has made massive amounts of impact, but ha- ha- has not had the public recognition that maybe others have. And I, and I want to honor you for that. I think that's a huge thing. I look at Dale Culver here on our show. He's, he's the backbone, you know, a lot of guys can be the jawbone, but it's really hard to be the backbone. And so I want to honor you in that. I sure appreciate that. And we've got, I've got several friends now, Robert, that are, I appreciate. Yeah. Thank you. I've got several friends that are retired from various careers right now. I'm 55. And so I've got buddies that are retiring And these guys are really struggling, Christian guys, with who they are after retirement. What can you tell one of these older statesmen, these guys that are nearing the end of retirement, what can you tell them about their identity versus their career? Yeah. Well, kind of one of my one of my old adages is you you gotta get out of the blender to see what it is you're mixing. And uh, it took me, uh, it had to step away and just, and just really get stripped of the title. And, uh, and uh, spend, I went on long walks uh, with, with God, Uh, a lot of evenings, just walking and talking to God. I journaled a lot. Uh, I, you know, there are a lot of books on identity and uh, there are a lot of books on uh, things we talked about, but it was just time with the Lord. You know, that was uh, what was very uh, significant for me. Uh, but I'm not surprised that that guys struggle with that. It's it, when I worked with halftime, it was it was amazing. There were so many uh, guys that uh, they want to go hard and fast and head down for, you know, 30, 40 years. And then uh, this was what they, they read Bob's book and thought, OK, I want to do something significant now. And uh, when they stepped away from that, they didn't know who mm-hmm. they were. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I asked a lady to come on our board, Deborah Harris in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, I asked her to come on the board when I was at halftime. And in the first luncheon with her, I said, uh, so Deborah, what do you do? And she just stared at me and she said, about what? And, uh, and that was a, that was really a, a wake up call for me that she wasn't going to be defined by what oh, she did. Yeah. You know, so, I think that's a more of a, yeah. I think, um, men struggle with that more. Maybe I think that might be changing as women enter the workforce and are doing more and more, but uh, we, I, we identify with our work. And I think for a follower of Jesus, that's really tough because that's not what identifies us, yep. which is, which is why I'm so excited to see this latest work that you guys put out in partnership with uh, George Barna research. You have a booklet called the five essentials to engage today's men and I want to I want to talk about this book and the research that you discovered and the and the why behind the book. But let me just say this: you guys surveyed fifteen hundred and ninety three U.S. men. One thousand men were practicing Christians, and five hundred ninety three others from among the general population. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think those numbers are so, right. So, yeah, I just pulled this right off of page 30. So what was the motivation behind partnering with Barna to find this research? Yeah, well, that's the, that's a great question. You know, uh, I wasn't there in the beginning when they initially uh, launched this, but, you know, I've done a lot of talk about why we did that. Um, you know, early on in the uh, in the in the the 90s, men's ministry had really surged. You know, there was Promise Keepers. That's when men's fraternity, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. I mean, the list goes on and on. And uh, I think as we turn into the new century, men's ministry kind of uh, stepped back a little bit, and uh, and there were a lot of issues. Uh, facing uh, the whole new generation of men, uh, cultural changes, changes in the workplace, the economy, gender roles. I mean, the, the masculinity was a bit in a fog. And so uh, Robert Lewis wrote this curriculum before we did the Barna survey. And uh, one of the motivations for doing that was to uh, to say, to kind of take a look. Are we are we spot on? We were getting a lot of feedback. Of, Man, this is great stuff. We want to see if we're spot on. You know, it's really interesting, Jim. When we got the results of the survey, we could go through the book, the book with the curriculum that you own, and it's a the answers to a lot of these questions that men are asking are in that booklet. So it val two things. It validated what we were already doing, and then just uh, this month we're. Uh, going to publish the the latest version of the workbook for uh, Better Man, and we've updated it a little bit with some of the uh, stuff that we found in the survey. So I think for those two reasons, I really appreciate that. So you said uh, there were cultural changes happening on page five of this uh, five essentials to engage today's men. It's here's what it says on page five: the cultural ground is shifting beneath men's feet. But the scriptures offer offer solid ground on which to build manhood for the 21st century and beyond. So, so Tom, after 50 years of ministry, I mean, you were on the cutting edge. When I seen cutting edge, I'm talking about working with youth, working with out, in outreach events with teenagers. And I, I got saved through Campus Life, and the guy that led me to Christ got saved through Young Life. So I and I was a Campus Life director. So I really understand that that concept. Being on the fringe of that, and then stepping away, and then coming to men's ministry, what are some of the massive cultural shifts you've seen? Well, I, I think some of the things that uh, that I've seen is just the uh, uh, watched men who are stepping back from the role that God created them to be in the home, uh, as husbands, as fathers. Um, I, I, was, I was amazed that, I should have known this by working <laughs> with kids, but the, the percentage of of uh of guys who grew up in a home with an absent dad, dad's gone. And I mean, like, uh, like 65, 70% of men uh, didn't live in a home with dad. And if they did have dad there, he was pretty absent uh, emotionally. And so uh, I think the dad factor is a lot. Uh, watched what happened with men when uh, they didn't have dad present and uh, how it's affected their mental health. It's affected their e emotional and spiritual health. And so that, that's one of the, uh, uh, the changes that I, I really noticed. And then in the, in the workplace, how a man, what, things that you already said, they're so identified with what they do uh, that um, if that's ever stripped away from them. And man, going through COVID and watching some guys that I know, I mean, really successful guys, their job just disappeared overnight. 
And, uh, and so they, they, they had to struggle with who am I now, you know, apart from what I do, uh, the economy, as I mentioned, is just, uh, uh, a big factor. And then the gender roles, uh, it just, it's confusing to a lot of young men, uh, what, who they are in relationship to the society. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm reading Sean, Sean McDowell, Josh's son, Sean McDowell's book. Uh, he wrote a book on sex, love, and and relationships geared towards teenagers. And some of the questions he's answering, like, is it okay to have sex with robots? Is it okay to use a personal pronoun in front of a name? I'm like, where have we where have we gone? It'll be so fun to dive into that yeah. podcast. But you know, Robert Lewis came on our show a couple months ago, and I just resonated with him as well. And he had talked about doing this survey because he said he's hey, I'm in my 70s. And I don't know what these young guys are thinking. And so this was kind of a response to that. So can you help me out with one thing? I have a, an, an honest question. So the group, we have a 1,593 U.S. men, 1,000 practicing Christians, 593 from among the general population. But if I'm not mistaken, there was another category in the survey of there were practicing Christian men, non-Christian men. And wasn't there a third category called Christian men who weren't practicing? Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, uh, there's a what what we identified as Christian men not practicing. Those were guys that would call themselves believers and and, and are, and they've had a uh, an encounter relationship with Christ, but they're not uh, involved in church, not involved in a small group. So uh, th- those would be Christians that are non practicing. Practicing Christians, we what where we categorize that is that they're at least going to church two times a month. You know, they're involved in some kind of church activity. So that that's how we. So, Tom, it. do you know off the top of your head how many Christian men who aren't practicing were in that fifteen hundred ninety three? No, I'd have to look I, that. I don't. Yeah, I, don't know I, I, I didn't number. see it in here. That's why I was asking. And so I was just curious. So we so we know there are three groups at least. So uh, that's not a problem. Guys, if you are listening to this, I want you to z- tune in to what's coming. We're going to unpack some really interesting findings from this survey. These guys put a ton of time into it, and I really appreciate this. So, guys, tune in. I want you to let me know if this resonates with you, why or why not. And if you have questions, I'd love to unpack this. This is really, really important stuff. So, Tom, this survey for me was very eye-opening, and uh, I am so thankful for the effort put into this survey. Uh, When I looked at this, and we talked about this a little bit offline, I was a little bit alarmed at a couple things, and one of them was I was a little bit shocked that the results weren't more polarized. It seemed to me that practicing Christian men, and I'm putting that in air quotes, did not live significantly different in certain categories than other men. Did you guys come to that conclusion as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was astounding to me. Uh, you know, uh, one-fourth of Christian men uh, have gone through a divorce. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we see the, uh, my wife is a marriage and family therapist, and often she will say, you know, I don't see a lot of difference uh, in Christians who come in for counseling and non-Christians. It'd be hard to make a differentiation between those. So their faith isn't driving, particularly men under 35. Yeah. Uh, I think they they've kind of bought into the culture. Uh, they they would say that uh, I, I have the percentage. It was a high percentage that of, of practicing practicing Christian men under thirty five who uh, 
feel that uh, homosexuality is okay. Uh, pornography is okay. Uh, living with uh, living with a woman and not you're not married to is okay. I mean, they've they've uh, they've bought into that, uh, and and still, uh, you know, reading the same scriptures that you and I are reading. And uh, it, it was amazing to, to see well, that. Yeah. So but, here's what I have. Here are the stats that alarm me, and you just alluded to them. Only 37% of practicing Christian men under 35 think sex before marriage is a sin. And only 50% yeah. of Christian practicing Christian men over 35 think that. So doesn't matter how old yeah. you are, no more than 50% of Christian men practicing Christian men think sex before marriage is wrong. And then another one that was alarming was 33% of single practicing Christian men under 35 are living with their girlfriend. And that is the equal number to those of non-Christian men. <laughs> and then, and which makes, yep. which makes yep. sense because only 42% of practicing Christian men under 35 believe homosexuality is a sin. And it's only 54% for older Christian men. So it's really interesting. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I just think it's the, uh, it's, I, I keep saying it over and over again, but the, where our culture is today, I, I just think that we've been so washed with our culture in the media, uh, in um, entertainment, in movies, in television, and so forth, that, that uh, guys are numb to that. And they're, but they're, you know, they're, going, they're practicing Christians. They're reading the same thing you and I are reading. But uh, so here, here's what I, I think of those, why those stats are really high is for for even practicing christian men is they're not connected with somebody else they're not connected with a mentor they're not connected in a small group they're not uh they're not really connected in a bible study uh there's no intergenerational uh relationships and and i think they're they're trying to live life out there on their own and uh so it's it's troubling it was troubling to me yeah to me it seemed when i read it as a 55-year-old man, and you're 73, my children are in their mid-20s, I thought, even though we're different ages, living in different time in history than, let's say, somebody 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago, we are reading the same Bible, and we should be coming to the same conclusions, generally speaking, about what that Bible says. And in some of these Areas like living together before marriage, sex before marriage, homosexuality, uh, divorce, these are very, very clear in Scripture. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. with you, I'm wondering with you why guys reading the same Bible are coming to a different conclusion. And I guess my, what I would wonder yeah. if they're actually reading the same Bible or if they're not reading the Bible. Yeah, I, I think maybe they're practicing means they're going to church they put in their hour and they go home. Uh, you know, they're, they're not involved in somewhere where someone is really challenging them in their faith. I, I was really grateful uh, early on that I had uh, a couple men in my life that uh, th- they would speak into my life. Uh, I, I was one of those guys that grew up with a father in my home, but he was, uh, he was absent emotionally uh, abusive. Uh, I didn't have a good uh role model at all growing up. And, uh, but I had a couple men that in my, as I was a young man that spoke into my life and they challenged me on things. And I think a lot of the, the quote, practicing Christian men are trying to do it on their own. 
and uh, we can't do it on our own. You know, you that's why what you're doing, Jim, what you guys are doing, what Robert's doing, what uh, so many men's ministries are doing right now are connecting guys with guys so that they can do life together. And I think that's that's at least an answer, I think, to uh, how to move this next generation in a different you know, direction. it's so interesting, Tom, because when I looked at this booklet on page eight, which the guys can't see this, but I'll show it to you. It shows how drastic the move. There's a huge discrepancy between men who uh, live, who, who faith is important versus men whose faith is not important. It's a huge, huge discrepancy. Yeah. Yet all of the other m- metrics were similar ish. And I thought it was really interesting because yeah. the men who claim faith in Jesus claim it viciously yet for some reason it's not translating over ethically and i think that's really really interesting and i do think that you're absolutely right i thank god for esteban andrade gary mccusker and daryl jansen these are three guys that most people don't know but these three guys uh picked me up as a young man daryl hired me in youth for christ gary led me to christ in campus life and Esteban discipled me, and those guys lived by the Bible, had it open every day, and steered this young guy, constantly steering me. And to mm-hmm. this day, Gary McCusker is my vice president. And so I'm so thankful for those guys. And I think that insight from this survey was life-changing, but I want to hold it till the end of the podcast because there's some life-changing mm-hmm. stuff here that I think our guys need mm-hmm. to understand. Guys, you need to listen to this because there's some life-changing stuff coming. So, so uh, Tom, mm-hmm. I have a question. So you broke this survey into the, what you called five essentials, right? Five essentials for men. Mm-hmm. And those five essentials are this. Identity, well-being, relationships, church, and engagement. So identity, yeah. well-being, relationships, church, and engagement. How did Better Man come to those five essentials? Well, vocation is in there. I, I think that's listed in that that um, uh, what I'm looking at. Uh, yeah, it's identity, vocation, well-being, relationships, and church engagement. Okay, so Tom, with this uh, essentials to engage today's men, you came up with five essentials, and on page five of the book, they say they are they are identity, vocation well-being, relationships, and church engagement. Those five things, identity, vocation, well-being, relationships, and church engagement. Why? How did you come to determine those five things? You know, I, I don't really have an answer to that, uh, Jim, because I wasn't involved in the uh-huh. beginning. But I, So I'm kind of yeah. guessing here, and then we've talked about it. As Robert wrote the curriculum, uh, all of those things were in the curriculum, you know, that walked through the the, the four things about manhood, uh, you know, what, uh, a man in his work, uh, a man in the world, a man with his woman, you know, uh, so forth. So I think there was a, a little bit of a combination with uh, Barna, which they what they do really well. And by the way, they, they were terrific in this deal. Uh, what they really do well and what Robert and better man was already doing. I think that's how they coined those five things. Felt like those are the those are what we'd like to find the answer. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. How do we how do we engage and reach today's men? So my takeaway from the research was that even though practicing Christian men have faith, somehow the the transition or translation of that faith to ethics is very similar to that of non Christian men. And so I think there is a, a, yeah. a scriptural thing that 
we are missing. But there were some massive differences in this survey between Christian men and non-Christian men. And so I want to unpack some of these. Uh, and one of them on page 12, sure. I was really encouraged. And here's one of those major differences. Practicing Christian men view their work different than than non-Christian men, which I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Christian men care less, not not could care less, but Christian men care less about making money and more about making a difference, and they care more about a, a career that is fulfilling their calling. So how, how yeah. what, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, uh, that one is not, uh, I'll go back to my halftime uh-huh. days and, and say this, that one was not surprising uh-huh. to me in this regard. You know, non-Christian uh, men are going to, they're interested in uh, financial status, they're interested in having fun, hobbies. What what th- that's what yeah. they're living for. Uh, Christian men are are getting their values some someplace else. And uh, uh, when uh, when Bob Buford wrote his book Halftime, it really resonated with the Boomer uh, generation and the some of the generation right after that. But today's men, Christian men, uh, here's what when they look at halftime or even hear about that concept. I've had guys say this. Why would I want to wait till I'm successful to be significant? I want to be significant now. Because uh, Bob's tagline to the book was moving from success to significance. And so uh, young Christian men now, are they, they, they want to make a difference in the world. And so that didn't surprise me uh, at all. And uh, Well, so. and I think beyond that, I, I would be put in the buster generation. And so, you know, we're right under the boomer generation and, our, you know, in my generation, at least for me personally, I didn't care about working towards retirement because I don't plan on retiring. What I cared about was living my life to the fullest all along the way. And I really appreciated uh, Buford's book because it talked about halftime and, and the shift. And I think because I had that book early on in my life, I was able to make the shift before halftime. Because I didn't have to right. make that mid-course right. adjustment because I already knew I needed to do it. So it was really, really good for me. Yeah. I really do yeah. appreciate that. But I thought it was interesting with, with work. You know, uh, Christian men care uh, less about their wealth. I mean, significantly less, 44% versus 29%, which was encouraging, right? Yeah. And 50% of practicing yeah. Christian men want to make a difference as opposed to 30%, 7% of non-Christians. So this was really encouraging. Another huge one was that fulfilling my calling. 40, 41% of men view work as a fulfillment of calling, where only 23% of non-Christian men even care. So, so we do yeah. see something really yeah. encouraging, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, did, did you, uh, Parker Palmer has a book called Let Your Life Speak. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but but a great little booklet uh, that I read several years ago. And in there, there's a quote that he has. He said, uh, uh, I, I think the quote was, don't ask the world uh, what the world needs. Ask what makes your heart come alive, because what the world needs are men whose hearts have come alive. And uh, and so I think that, that's what that's why I wasn't surprised about this. These young guys are saying, I, I want to go do something that matters and that I can get up every day. It makes my heart sing as opposed to. Work. Yeah. John Eldridge has a very similar quote in wild at heart. He talks about, ask yourself what makes you come alive. And so that's really good. Another, another 
yeah. major uh, category uh, of difference was uh, well-being. So Christian men mm-hmm. have a different view in this area. So the categories measured were mental health, friendships, mm-hmm. spiritual health, work-life balance, leisure slash rest, and the future. And Christian men scored higher in all categories, especially, Tom, mental health, 44% versus mm-hmm. 32%. So what is your takeaway in this category of well-being? So this makes me feel like from this information, I, I go, being a follower of Jesus will enhance my life significantly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, I, I, I hope we don't come to that conclusion. But, the, uh, you, you know, uh, I think that um, uh, a little bit of the well-being and mental mental health with guys, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, relationships and loneliness. Did you read in there about how many men, both Christian, non-Christian, practicing, not, non-practicing Christians, they all have this this deep uh, two two things loneliness and being overwhelmed yes. uh, and uh, and so I think uh, where there's mentors where there's uh, uh, intergenerational uh, men get in a group together uh, you you see the well-being of, of, of Christian men skyrocket because they're they're doing life together with someone else to me yeah and when I say uh, following Jesus make your life better I don't mean financially better I mean uh, healthy yeah. relationships not no, lonely I'm not a prosperity guy at all I mean at all and so that yeah. to me the to me in this finding I have on this you can see here I wrote huge. To me, the biggest yeah. discovery that can help our guys who are driving to work listen to this podcast right now, the massive discovery is found on page 20. Having, and Robert yeah. talked about yeah. this in our podcast with Robert Lewis that we had several months ago. Having a confidant and intergenerational relationships will significantly impact his marriage his relationships with his children, and his friendships. Do you want to elaborate, Tom? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, Robert and I have talked about that extensively. You know, when I was teaching men's fraternity, that was a, that was huge, you know, in, in, in terms of, of uh, uh, that. And it's, it's all laced through better, the Better Man curriculum. But Robert's, Robert's spot on. By the way, when you said, I thought you said not having a relationship oh, no, no. with Jesus would enhance. That. <laughs> I was, I was. That's like, why I said I hope we don't come to that. I, was, I, I thought you were thinking. I said I thought you were, thought I was leaning towards some prosperity gospel. I was like, I better explain no, myself. No, 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 no. <laughs> no I, I miss, I misheard oh, you. So I'm, I'm in agreement oh, with good. you, man. I was uh, wondering. So, I, I made, uh, I wanted to make sure you didn't get off the podcast. Going, man, Ramos is a prosperity gospel guy. <laughs> No, no, no. Okay, I'm I'm glad it was a communication. My wife says I need to work on that area in my life. (laughs) So what were you saying again, Tom? Oh, well, I just think, uh, you know, the, the all the things that Robert just listed, you know, uh, the significance that if you're, if you're, if you're practicing Christian in a group, uh, with other men, particularly if you're in a group with uh, intergenerational men, uh, a mentor, uh, there's a the chances are going to be much greater that uh, you're going to have satisfaction in all those areas. Uh, also, if dad was in the home and you had a good home life, 
you'll feel a lot better about your marriage. You'll feel a lot better about your own children. Uh, and we found that out in this in the survey, which is not surprising. Uh, but uh, so I think that uh, this this is a real challenge for the church and a real challenge for men's uh, groups is uh, to, to see that kind of thing change. We need to have guys in groups. We need to have guys uh, in Better Man right now, by the way, we're, we're targeting uh, the, the material targets, uh, the, the young, younger generation, the 35 and under. But who we're targeting to lead those groups are older men. Uh, we're targeting guys that are in their late 40s and 50s to say, why don't you bring eight or nine guys around the table uh, that are 35 and under and just be there with them, take them through this material, mentor them. And uh, we, we think that's going to make a huge difference. And uh, I think those guys, that, that's a little bit of difference in where we were with men's fraternity as opposed to where we are in Better Man right now is that mentors are bringing the guys to the table. And then they're going to live life with them afterwards on our website after the 11 weeks are up that it's, we have a whole page dedicated to next steps and it connects with all kinds of men's ministries and other issues that will help men continue to grow well, together. You know, Tom, all of our curriculum, everything we've written targets men in the stress bubble, which is this 28 to mm-hmm. 45, 50 range. And so these guys, we have to right. target the guys that are in that range. And I, and that's what I've appreciated about Robert is his material targets. Those mm-hmm. guys where a lot of men's ministry material, mm-hmm. quite frankly, could be used for a girl's Bible study, read your Bible, pray more, have <laughs> yeah. relationships. Tell me something. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to talk about yeah. pornography, you know, keep, you know, guardrails with my yeah. wife leading my family. And so Robert does yeah. that. You guys do that. And I really appreciate it, but I don't want to walk away from this because Tom, this to me is, you know, guys, we're a little slow sometimes. And so I want to beat this into the men's head. I want to beat them into submission here because this is so important. How would you define the word confidant? That's an important word for us to define today. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would say it's got to be somebody that's uh, already walked a f- a, uh, several miles more than you have. You know, they, they've, uh, they've already, they've been bloodied up a little bit along the way and uh, they, they've lived life both, uh, personally, emotionally, spiritually, more than you have. Uh, I, I want someone like that in my life. That's Those are the guys that I had. And then secondly would be uh, someone that you can uh, feel safe with, that you can say anything. Uh, you know, guys, you, you know this more than I do, Jim. Guys are very reluctant to go below the surface at times because I'm, they're afraid if I, if I tell you what I'm thinking or if I tell you what I've done, uh, I'm afraid you'll pull away. You won't. Uh, you won't love me. Guys that are really confidants, they don't pull away. They lean in and they tell me more. You know, I was uh, had a friend of mine that that uh, had a uh, he was a confidant with a young man who came to him and said, "Hey, is there anything I can do that would keep you from loving me?" And my friend said, "Well, I guess so, but I'm not sure what it'd be." And uh, he went on to say that he was having a, a an extramarital affair. And my friend who was his confidant said, "Wow, you thought that's what." It, would keep me from loving you. I, I think you're capable of doing far worse than that. And, uh, and, you know, he wasn't condoning the affair, but he was letting this guy know, okay, you know, the, the, we, we, I've heard that before. You're not in this alone and there's something we can do together. So I think that, and then confidentiality, some, someone that you can talk to uh, other than your spouse 
that that you feel like um, you can say anything to. So I think those would be the marks of a confidant to me. Well, Tom, you said find a man who's walked several miles further than you have. And and let me let me build on that. So I have several guys I speak that speak into my life, but I have found it's much easier to talk to a man who's 20 years my senior, so my parents' age, about the embarrassing topics, right? The things I'm ashamed of, the things I'm deeply battling with, than somebody who's a peer because they've walked further in my shoes. And is that what I hear you saying? Well, I think it can be age, but I also think it can be experience. I think it can be a younger, a younger guy that's just experienced more. You know, uh, uh, some of the train wrecks that uh, just some things that in my life that I was, you know, had to kind of repair and things that along the way, uh, I would much better prepared to talk to somebody about those things uh, compared to because I'd already been there. I, I got bloodied up a little bit. I knew what was you know was going mm. on. So. It, it's not necessarily age. It's just experience and uh, both with failure and with success. Well, and this goes, and then back to the survey, I, I, this is so interesting to me. And I'm looking at page 20 here. This, this booklet's only about 30 pages long, so it's very short. But when we talk about the connection between intergenerational friendships and a man's well-being, when we talk about marriage, relationship with children and friendships, it is, it is, when it, it is double in our relationships with our children and with our friendships, it is double the impact having an older man speaking into our life, double the impact. And why do you think guys shrink back from inviting an older mentor or confidant into their lives? Is it because the church has failed is because men don't want to do that is because the young men are too prideful. The old men are too, too uh, selfish. What is your takeaway here? Well, I think uh, maybe it's a little of all of that, but I think that just just it's a uh, uh, it's a gender thing a lot. Is it men just uh, you know? I was in the I was in the Denver airport when I was traveling a lot, and there was a young boy. This was before nine eleven when you could actually walk up to the gate with someone, and the scene was pretty pretty easy to see. There was a there was a uh, uh, a mom who was getting ready to get on an airplane and fly. And this young boy, probably seven, eight years old, uh, was going to be left with grandma and grandpa. And when they called the flight, she got up, grabbed her bag and started to go to the, the jet bridge. And he started crying. And grandfather grabbed him by the shoulders, turned him around and looked at his face and said, stop that. Big boys don't cry. And I wanted to go over there and knock that guy down and say, let him cry because big boys do cry. And uh, so I think it's a gender thing that we learn kind of growing up as men. You don't share weakness. You don't share failure. You don't share uh, hard things because uh, you might appear weak. You might appear, uh, you know, guys won't. They, they they won't love you anymore. They they'll be taken back. So I think I think it's a little of that. Women, as you well know, I mean. I can watch my wife and some of her friends. They go to level five communication about three minutes into the conversation, and uh, <laughs> we have to warm up. <laughs> so. No, that's really true. So how do how do you determine when you look at having a confidant who is either your age or older? How does that relate to the information you discovered on men and loneliness? Well, same same thing. I think that the guys who have a confidant. Uh, are dramatically more 
stable in their life and they're less lonely. Uh, loneliness was a big, big thing throughout this survey, both on identity and then it, on our church life. It was uh, in the workplace. It was laced throughout there. I saw that word multiple times, as you probably did. Loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. Yeah. The guys just trying to live live life alone. And, uh, and so um, having a mentor, having somebody that uh, can speak into your life, but also that you have somebody to go to say, you know, have, have, here's what I'm feeling and have a guy say, yeah, I know I felt that too. So at one point in my life and validate their feelings. Uh, that's the other thing, by the way, I, when I hear somebody say, Hey, you shouldn't feel that way. I want to say, no, they can feel however they want to feel that feelings. There's uh, you know, don't tell them how to feel uh, just listen to them. And, uh, and, and so I think, I think uh, a confidant that has those kind of tools that's able to just be quiet and listen more than talk uh, is, is really valuable. I think that is the one thing that a follower of Jesus brings to the table that mm-hmm. far and away exceeds a person who does not believe in Jesus because being involved in the body of Christ involves us in relationships and community. Our entire faith is based on relationship, right? A God who wants to have a relationship with us. I was really interested. Patrick Morley wrote a book about maybe two years ago now called The Christian Man. And in that book, he said that one out of 18 men outside of the church are involved in some kind of group. And the number is significantly better for Christians. It's one in eight. So that's significant. But it's but what troubles me is out of every hundred men in your church, almost 10 percent, you know, only 10 percent of those men are plugged in yeah. to relationships. Yeah. And yeah. this is our trump card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there uh, in the, the Better Man curriculum, there's uh, there there's uh, I think five or six things that Robert identified as trouble spots that undercut our manhood. You know, yes. one of them is the dad, the dad wound that we already talked about. Uh, the other one is they just lack a vision. They, nobody's ever told them what a what's a real man. You know, what is, what yeah. is a real man like? Uh, the other one is unprocessed trauma. In, in their life and then and uh, or addiction, uh, some kind of addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever. But the, then the last one is uh, no close friends. Yeah, you know, they, they don't have anybody to live life with. And, you know, here, here's two of the verses. Uh, two are better than one. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the man who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Ecclesiastes and then Proverbs. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, the Proverbs 18. You know, uh, we, we get those kind of people in our life. Uh, you, you can see why mental health and, and uh, lack of loneliness just skyrockets. Well, you know, it's funny, Tom. You know, iron, uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. <clears throat> the NIV and some other versions kind of neutered that, and they say, as one person sharpens another, but the actual word is man. Yep. yep. It's man. Yep. And so there's a reason yep. why the Bible is addressing men because men yep. don't naturally sharpen each other. <laughs> well, yeah, and and you know Jim what we were talking about earlier is is that's part of the culture uh that's kind of feminized the man- manhood. They live a little bit in a fog in that area and and they they kind of buy into that to be politically correct you know, change some words. And the word you just described is that that's huge. That's big. 
you know, the, the, you know, the, the Hebrew word wasn't, they didn't make a mistake in that. You know, it didn't, that's not what it said. It said man. And, uh, and so we need another man in our life. I, I agree a hundred percent. So let's, let's talk about this. You talked about the, uh, the younger generation. So this booklet and this survey with a uh, better man and Barna was really trying to get at the heart of how do we reach down and impact these men in the stress bubble, these millennial guys, these guys raising a family. So you not only broke the group into Christian, practicing Christian and non-Christian, but you broke the survey into men under 35, or men 34 and younger, and men older. And so I mm-hmm. want to read to you a quote on page 27 of your book of the booklet. It says this, there is a clear divide between mm-hmm. older and younger generations when it comes to, wait for it, almost mm-hmm. all aspects of faith. Right. Now, now when I read into this, my first ask, my first response was, well, because the younger guys don't believe the Bible is true. Uh, but I don't know if that's necessarily the correct answer. Yeah. I look at this yeah. and I go back to earlier in our conversation that our, our faith should be the same regardless of how old we are, if we're truly following the Bible, what did you guys determine from these vast differences? Well, you know, if you go on on that quote that you just read, uh-huh. uh, and you say, not only are young men less likely to go to church, but even those who do practice faith are apt to disagree with their elders when it comes to moral issues, especially related to sex. Uh, and th- so here's a question in our booklet. Should churches adapt to these generational changes? You know, if so, uh, how can your ministry work to bridge these divides? You know, I think that's where we've, you know, the, the younger generation is bought into uh, the the culture. I mean, I think at some point the church has to decide, do we want to be relevant Yeah, or preach the truth? Because let's be honest, only dead things drift downstream. Yeah. A living thing, a living thing fights and battles. You know, I was just, I'm going through the pastoral epistles verse by verse. And today was a uh, chapter six, verse 12 and 13, where Paul says, fight the fight of faith. And, mm-hmm. and so there is at some point, I think spiritual leaders, which would mean, you know, those of you at better man, those of us at man in the arena, those in the churches need to say, guys, the Bible's not easy. Okay. I don't know. Have we compromised the word of God in the, in the church today, Tom? Well, yeah, I think some have, you know, I, 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 yeah, I don't think that's any question. I wouldn't say that's a general statement, of course, but, but yeah. I think that, uh, you, you know, it, I don't think that there's a, it was amazing to find out how many churches don't have a men's ministry. That's kind of a general, oh. you know, general deal. They, they just don't have one. It, and you know what happens when, when dad or husband really get turned on with the faith, you know, the whole, everything changes. You Everyone know? wins. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and and so I'm I'm amazed at how many churches don't have a men's ministry. I'm not focused on that, and uh, this, and then those that do have that, uh, it's really crucial to have a small group where you can get together and talk about these issues. And uh, those who are in small groups and small Bible studies with other men, they win. So so Tom, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the ball on the tee for you. And I'm gonna let you okay. hammer it. Okay, are you ready for this? <laughs> what you just said, what you just said, reminds me of a friend of mine who said this: when churches don't have a men's ministry, that is the big miss. Do you know who said yep. that? Nope. <laughs> Robert Lewis. Robert Lewis. I was about to say. <laughs> so it is a it, it's a big miss, you know. And I know churches that don't. Uh, 
when when I first taught men's fraternity at the at church that I was going to, they didn't have a men's ministry going on, uh, and uh, so uh, we we promoted men's fraternity for two or three weeks and guys knew who I was, but, uh, you know, so, so we're going to start on a Wednesday morning at 6 AM. You know, we had three to 400 guys that showed up and all 13 weeks in the fall and all 13 weeks in the spring, they kept coming. And I promise you, Jim, it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I'm so great up front and speaking. It was because all the material was so relevant to where they're living and they're hungry hungry for that. And so even today we'll run, we'll be in a restaurant. That, that was back when we used to be able to go to restaurants, you know, we'd be in a restaurant and, uh, and I, we'd have a, a couple walk up to Linda and me and say, Hey, you know what, what I learned in men's fraternity saved our marriage. You know, what, what I learned in, in that men's fraternity has made the huge difference with my kids. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's a big miss when you don't have that in a church. I just wish men would get that more. You know, I, I wish mm-hmm. churches would understand that more. Uh, that is so important, guys. If you're in a church right now that does not have a men's ministry, I have a simple answer for you. Start one. Yeah. On Start page one. 20, yeah, on page 29 under the church, it says there's a clear connection between men's participation in men's ministry and their overall satisfaction with life from their marriage to their children to their work-life balance. And so it's a call to the church. Uh, what are you going to do about that? Yeah. So, and that, that's to all of us. Yeah. So I have that underlined with a star. And then yeah. it continues and it says this, are men more likely to find satisfaction in the rest of their lives because of what they experience in men's ministries? Or are the men who seek out these ministries already living satisfied lives, thus allowing them the freedom to participate? And I wrote, that is true. It's a true yes. statement. You know, yeah. we need when a man gets it, everyone wins. And we need uh, we need men to step up and to start movements all around yeah. the country. And so, yeah. yeah. You know, back when we started this broadcast, I said that, you know, in the 19, you know, back in the, the, the decade before men's, there were a lot of uh, uh, ministries that were started, both you know, nonprofits, a lot of stuff started in, and mainly because the church was missing it, you know, with, with people. That's, that's, that's why uh, promise keepers filled the stadiums, you know, with men at, at that point. That's why uh, men's fraternity was so big that a lot of the churches weren't getting it. And, and when the church gets it, uh, it makes a, makes a huge difference. When the church gets it, everyone wins. Well, guys, this is huge. What we're covering today, do not neglect or ignore what you are hearing about having a confidant uh, relating and interacting regularly with the intergenerational men of your church. So, Tom, in conclusion, what other findings were deeply impactful for you and the men at Better Man? What what things did you walk away with? Um you know, um, I think we've covered most most of that. I think the the key points we've covered about I, on the church issues. I, I wrote this down from the survey: eighty eight percent of practicing Christians uh, say church is to grow their faith. Sixty eight percent say it's to learn uh, the scriptures. Fifty percent said it's community. You know, mm. it, and so 
in small groups, men's ministry, Bible studies. I, I just think we can't emphasize that enough of what men need right now. They need more of that. And I, yeah. I would say this Barna survey, I have stacks of it in my office and ha- happy to send it to anyone that wants it. They can get online at betterman.com and download it. They can go to Barna, uh, download it. Uh, if they want a hard copy in their hand, drop me an email and I'll send it to them. So, Well, Tom, I appreciate that so much. You know, I've got the survey from Barna that was mailed to me from Better Man for free. I have the curriculum that uh, Robert just said, hey, I'll send it. I just appreciate how generous this organization is. And and Tom, I want to say, man, at 73 years old, uh, you're running super, you're hard and, and you're going for it. And man, thank you for being a model for me and those younger guys. I mean, you, you, you don't have to write the book called Finishing Well, you're doing it. And so on behalf of a young 55-year-old, I just honestly, I just want to say thank you. And uh, my, I can fly for free. So you and Robert say the word. I'll fly out to Little Rock and hang out with you guys and sit at your feet for a couple hours. So uh, thank you yeah. so much. We'd love to have you. And Jim, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for calling men to get in the arena. And, oh, you uh, know it. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to be with you and be with uh, guys that have the same DNA. I just, I, I love it. So thanks for the honor of being on your your uh, podcast. And wow. I look forward to help you any, any way I can. I, I'm, I'm one of your uh, biggest fans. Well, hey, the honor is ours, Tom. Thank you so much. Hey, guys. Hey, let's get our boots on the ground. Uh, you, you've heard some great stuff today. You've got some great resources. But wherever you're going, wherever you're driving, wherever you're at right now, listen to this podcast. Here's your boots on the ground moment. Man, guys, find a confidant. <laughs> yeah, you need a dude in your life. I mean, honestly, it doesn't even have to be somebody you know. Find somebody and just say, I need to tell you something. I need a guy to confide in. Go to find a guy in your church who's an older, respected man in your church. Pull him aside and go, hey, I need a confidant. The old guy rule says this. The old guys buy the lunch for the young guys. So he'll buy your lunch. He won't even charge you. You get that guy out on a meal. Get him out for coffee. He'll take care of you and find a guy that you can confide in. It's so important. Guys, this is a game changer. When a man gets it, everyone wins. Dale, why don't you take us home, brother? Hey, guys, we want you to head on over to meninthearena.org and get your free book. And we'd also love for you to leave us a positive review. And if you can't figure out how to do that on your app, then go ahead and just email us at info at Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's 
from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.